The sermon scripture reading this morning is found in uh, the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. And for those of you like me that need to need the phone or the uh, page number, it's page 190 and goes into 191. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to, pre to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, lusciousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm warning you, as I warn, warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. Well, it's great to be back with you. Uh, we, as I was saying during our prayer time, are grateful for a healthy uh, newborn, healthy mother. And one of the interesting things that happens with uh, having a baby is you are reminded of how small babies are. And it takes me back to thinking about how small Gwen used to be. And maybe you've thought, man, they just grow up too fast as the parental or maybe grandparent desire to slow things down. And I can't help but think about growing up without thinking about the classic story from J.M. Barry, Peter and Wendy. Uh, the Peter Pan story, the very first paragraph of the novel begins, all children except one grow up. They soon know that they will grow up, and the way Wendy knew was this. One day when she was two years old, she was playing in a garden, and she plucked another flower and ran with it to her mother. I suppose she must have looked rather delightful, for Mrs. Darling put her hand to her heart and cried, Oh, why can't you remain like this forever? And this was all that passed between them on the subject, but henceforth Wendy knew that she must grow up. You always know after you are two, two is the beginning of the end. And I think we often find ourselves agreeing with Mrs. Darling's mentality, wishing we could just pause time, keep our children small forever, or whatever it is that you're wanting to stay and hold on to forever in that one moment. But strangely, we also do this in our own spiritual lives. We often celebrate our naive baby faith, 
when we first believed something and act like that's the ideal to maintain forever? If I could just stay in that newborn Christian state and never have to grow up? And so our faith becomes, how do I maintain what I already am instead of how might God continue to transform me into what I might be? And so it's like we all live in Neverland and we're the kids who never want to grow up. God, I'm already in the in crowd. Do I have to change? Why do I need to change and grow up? So if you're not a Christian, join the club. If you are, don't mess it up. What's there to grow up about? And that kind of leads to some strange spiritual outcomes. You know, if you've, if you've ever asked the question, well, I'm a Christian, now what? What do I do now? Or maybe you thought Christianity seemed kind of boring or purposeless because, well, I got this thing figured out. And so, you know, if I only focus on afterlife and Christianity is just about something in the future, um, what do I need to do about this world? Can I watch the world burn? Because it's going to burn anyway and I don't need to engage in the world. What happens when we don't want to grow up is it results in people who call themselves Christians but whose lives do not look like the Christ that they say that they follow. And maybe you've seen that in the world around you. Maybe you've seen that in the news. But people who claim Christ uh, do all sorts of immature, not transformed things, uh, which you often feel guilty about that association. Oh, you're one of those Christians. Oh yeah, one of those people who say this or who do that. Whatever those ugly things that you don't want to be compared to. Those are the things that we need to grow up from, but yet we don't always want to grow up from them. Today we are starting a series called Growing Up. And it's letting Paul invite us into spiritual maturity. And each of the weeks we are going to read from one of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, and so on. And we'll ask ourselves, what is it to radically live that out in a world that is divisive and in conflict? Uh, And so today, we're going to help situate all of those fruit of the Spirit, get a sense of what on earth is Paul even calling us to when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And so let's set the scene. Uh, Paul, you know, he traveled from place to place. He would plant churches and then he'd go on to the next area. And so Galatia was a region in modern-day Turkey. He started some churches there. Things were going well. He moved on. And at some point, he gets word that things are not going well, like really not going well. Uh, One of the great things about Galatians, if you read through it, his tone is not happy. He is really struggling with this community. And there's, a, there's some teachers who have entered into the community after Paul left who are, uh, let's say, causing trouble for Paul. One of the things that they're doing is they're questioning Paul's authority and his teachings. Is he even really an apostle? And you'll see in Galatians, he has to defend his own claims, who he is and why his message has value. And second... They were telling the churches that in order to be Christians, you must fully live out the Jewish life, taking on all of the laws and commandments, which include 
circumcision or dietary practices or certain religious calendar items. And so there's infighting about what does it mean to be Christian? How do you follow Christ? Do we uh, still associate with Paul or not? And Paul's writing into the midst of this divisive time, and he describes two warring superpowers in the world, the spirit and flesh. He writes, for what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. So we've got two things, the flesh, which is that self-interested seat of, of um, desire or lusts, that physical self that desires to, be, uh, to receive for oneself. It's like self-interested. Or the spirit, that divine spirit that unites and gives life through faith. And Paul's going to set up these two, these two powers in the world as opposites that require a choice. And so in the midst of this, Paul gives a command to the community. We read a very long, it's not too long, but we read a long text. A lot of it is description and helping you clarify what he's saying, but the overarching message is that very first verse where he gives a command. Live by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. I want to parse that out a little bit because I think our translation is a little bit unclear on this point. Literally in this text, it says, walk in the Spirit, uh, which our translation is translated into live by the Spirit. And there's, I think that's not a terrible way to go, but I want you to see that it's how you live your life. So it's not just live, uh, live by the Spirit as in, Uh, You don't have to do anything. But walk in the Spirit as in what you do matters and what you do should be lived through the Spirit, that the Spirit should be in all that you do in your daily life and practices. Walking in the Spirit isn't just about identifying with the Spirit but living it out into the world. The second little strange thing about this translation is um, our, our translation gave two commands live by the Spirit, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. But there's really only one command in our verse, and that was to walk in the Spirit. And the second half of that verse is the outcome of that. Literally, and you shall never fulfill the desires of the flesh. So if you walk in the Spirit, you will not be fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And so it's one imperative with an outcome that is emphasized. And so in a world where teachers are telling Christians that they are bound to live the commandments of the Hebrew Bible, Paul tells them that if they live their life in the Spirit, they will naturally side with the Spirit and not with the flesh. So you don't need the do nots if you are actually living into what the Spirit is doing. And that's how he's framing this discussion. That's how he's calling us forth, walk in the Spirit. And he's going to illustrate what the difference is between the Spirit and the flesh. Now, in the Greco-Roman world, in that ancient context, 
usually people would give these ethics lists where they'd say, do this, don't do that. And that might be a little bit confusing when your rival theologians are telling people, do this, don't do that. And so Paul does something interesting with his virtue and vice list. You know, instead of saying, do this, don't do that, he says, when you live by the Spirit, this is what happens. When you live by the flesh, this is what happens. So he's not saying, do these good things, don't do these bad things. He's saying, live by the Spirit, don't live by the flesh, and here's what that looks like. So he goes into uh, the vice list. What are the bad things we should avoid? That's how you typically think about it, but um, what are the consequences of pursuing my own self-interest? Here's what he says. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. And he starts with, he says, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, and I'm gonna pause because everyone in the room is celebrating. Yeah, I like this vice list. We don't like any of those things. Yeah, those are bad. And then once he's got you on board with your bad list, he's going to start talking to the Galatians here. What else is on this list of the works of the flesh? Enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. These words, uh, I think, are best captured. Um, There's a theologian that, that said that these are ways in which power destroys community. It's easy to have our list of things that are bad that we don't do. Say, yeah, look at all those bad things. It's a little bit harder when it looks more internal at us and sees the things we are actually doing that cause harm and says, hey, those things, those things are also signs that your self-interest pursuit is running against what God wants. It's running against what the Spirit might be doing in you. And so when you encounter someone appeasing the flesh's desires, whose life is oriented around these community-destroying behaviors, or even more, when you see that in yourself, that's an important indicator. It lets you know it's, something's off. And it's not just, hey, stop doing that, but you need to go spend some time with God and figure out what's off. Spend some time with the Spirit and prayer because it's a big, giant alarm blaring telling you you need to spend that time with God. And I I realize the kind of irony of we've had conversations about lack of smoke detectors and sirens and things. (laughs) Uh, But if you could imagine this space, a big alarm system, if that was going off and instead of telling you there's a literal fire, it was going off and saying, hey, you got some spiritual stuff you got to work on. And it's not those big sins that people love talking about. It's those little ways in which we nitpick each other, in which we say unloving things to each other, when we avoid each other, when we, when we cause harm. Toxic, destructive, hateful behavior should never be condoned. It's a sign that we need transformation and we need to grow up. 
Paul gives a warning here. He says, literally, I am warning you. As I warned you before, he needs a few layers of warnings. Those who do such things, the works of the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you use your freedom and power to destroy community, and destroy God's community, you might just lose that community completely. In contrast, what is the outcome when you choose the path of the Spirit instead of your own selfish interests? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. We're going to spend plenty of time in all of these fruit and the indicators that they are, are talking about our lives and how they come into fruition in the world. But I want to just at least note that a fruit is a seed-bearing vessel. It's other-oriented. It brings new life outside, beyond itself, instead of that selfish interest in only caring about itself. So I want to give us an image this morning. As I pause to let you get this image, I'm, I'm sorry that what it might do, but can you all remember when you've had an itch? And you want to scratch it. And we kind of, I think, all know that we should avoid scratching an inch because it makes it worse. But it can feel so good and you get in this cycle. Um, because what happens is, is that scratching an inch, the scratching causes pain. And that pain, for a moment, sends a signal to the brain. Instead of thinking about the itch, it's thinking about the pain it's get, got there. And so some serotonin goes through your system. And a nice reward, pleasure, comes to that space. You're like, oh, this feels good. But it activates in your body. Um, I need to give more itch feelings because I want more of that good serotonin. And so suddenly other itches start happening. All the while, you just keep scratching yourself and harming yourself. And if you have real cuts, you have real problems, you're introducing chances of infections and all sorts of bad things getting into all of this area that you keep scratching. And we get stuck in a cycle of harming ourselves when we're trying to heal ourselves. But the scratching can never work. We wanted to alleviate pain, but we caused just more and more through our foolhardy effort. How often do we also do this in the world? We too often go into self-destructive behavior, not because we want to harm someone, but we want some little reward. And you get so blindsided to what you might be harming in the world, but I just want this one thing. I don't care what I leave behind, but I need that thing. And so we feed the flesh side of ourselves, which will never be satisfied. Even when you leave the bodies behind and you get that one little reward you were wanting, guess what? It won't satisfy. All that harm just causes more harm and more harm, more itches, and it never heals. And I think something like this image might do well with Paul when he talks about Scripture. He's like, 
I know I'm not telling you to follow all of the Jewish commandments. Here's what Scripture's purpose was. And maybe you can think about Scripture kind of like a cast. It's something covering that itchy thing. And it gets really frustrating because you want to itch, but it's kind of keeping you from getting to it, to let it heal long enough. But all it does is just serve a reminder about the itch, and it doesn't truly do anything other than let time work. But the faith that that Paul calls us to is one that believes that the Spirit has to take root deep inside of you, that that healing ointment has to go down internally, and and it grows roots, and it takes hold, and the plant starts growing up out of you, blooming flowers, and eventually blooming into fruit that passes on that seed to others. So God's divine orchard has to start internally, and it is the only thing that truly heals. And so, whether this is you or someone around you, When someone wants a selfish pursuit to be appeased, saying, I gotta have this thing, I gotta have this thing, I gotta have this thing, and it's that itch. I need it my way, no matter the cost. I need that little reward, that little fix. Scratching the itch won't cure what ails them. It's a temporary relief that just makes it worse. Instead, we need the, the ointment that truly cures, that works on the inside of us, a life of prayer and contemplation, a life in Scripture, a life in service to others. How often have you seen that? When you go to serve somebody else and you feel something at work inside of you in the midst of that? A life of worship. When you spend time in the waters of God, eventually the Spirit takes root and grows into something life-giving that bears seeds for others. We aren't meant to stay seedlings, but to let the Spirit continue to grow up in us. And that's the mystery of our faith. How dust like us can become flowering, fruit-bearing plants. And so when Paul finishes our text saying, if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit, that's the the invitation. Do you choose the Spirit? Maya Angelou um, is a famous uh, poet, uh, historian, author, director, uh, civil rights author. Maya Angelou wrote, most people don't grow up Most people age. They find parking spaces and honor their credit cards. They get married, they have children, and they call that maturity. But what that is is aging. But to grow up, to take responsibility for the time you take up and the space you occupy, to honor every living person for his or her humanity, that is to grow up. Spiritual maturity isn't an accident. It's a long process. It's a dance between you and your creator. And today and throughout this series, Paul invites us to grow. So today, choose which you want to appease, the flesh or the spirit. Do you wish to live by the spirit or scratch the itch of the flesh?
Would you join me in prayer? Lord, you know each of our stories that brings us here today. You know each of our heart's desires and where we are seeking to go. Lord, we ask that you would plant your roots of your spirit deeper into us, that we might choose to seek after you and not our own flesh. Lord, help us to seek your true cure, your true healing of our brokenness and not exchange that for something else that can't heal. Lord, if if someone's in this room and they feel that brokenness, Lord, I just ask that you would um, be a spirit of peace and comfort in the midst of those trying times. Lord, if somebody's here and they've seen that indicator in themselves of of that that divisiveness, that anger, that frustration, that, that community harm, Lord, I ask that you would just soften the soil of their heart and that your spirit might grow in them. For those who are here, who are bearing beautiful fruit into this world, Lord, I just ask that you would um, help us to be grateful and thankful for their presence, to appreciate your work in their lives. Lord, be with us in this space. Help us to choose you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.